we're going to continue uh, looking through 1 Thessalonians. If you remember last week, we covered the whole first chapter, all 10 verses of that. And today we're going to cover the first half, I almost said the second half, the first half of chapter 2. And in this, we, we, we're going to hear how Paul talks about how they, that's uh, from back in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy came to the church in Thessalonica and, and who they were while they were there. And from that, we're going to glean who we should be as Christians, how we should be acting, what we should be doing, what we should be saying, and how we should be saying it. So let's read it. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12, and it'll be up there on the screen as well. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. It reads, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, of the God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's dive into this. Number one there in your notes, how to speak. How to speak. Paul starts out this chapter and he goes, listen, if you remember, we ended the last chapter, chapter 1, and he talked about how Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, they, the, the, the word of what they had done had gone before them because the people of Thessalonica were living this Christian life so wholeheartedly, so strongly, and preaching it out to everyone they met that it was spreading throughout more than just Macedonia and Achaia, but throughout the world. And that's where we find Paul here. Remember, this is one letter. So it would have been as they read it, they would have come right into this. So he goes, and so you know, brethren, that we weren't coming to you was not in vain. We had already suffered in Philippi. If you want to hear about that suffering, you can read about that in Acts. You can read about all of the Acts of the Apostles. That's the full name of that book, the Acts of the Apostles, but we just call it Acts. But we still had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. They had boldness. You see, it makes sense when you're in a world that's dark. They lived in the same world that we do now. Yes, they didn't have the technology that we do now. and They didn't have some of the issues that we did now. But the world was just as evil. Satan was just as bad. People were just as bad. And so he walks in and he goes, listen, we were amid much opposition. We were, we were uh, horrible things happened to us in Philippi, but we have boldness to speak Christ. Why? Because of who Christ is. It's not because of who they are. 
Although he does say later on, you know, we could have asserted our authority. But no, they have boldness because of who they serve. I know when I was, uh, when I was working at, uh, at, the, at the school, I worked in the cafeteria at Clark Summit University for a little bit. When I was there, I kind of became in charge of the dining room. I wasn't a cook, but I became in charge of the dining room when I was working. But I didn't have any real authority. People listened to me because if they didn't, I would go get Brian, the boss. And they, he would come out and go, why are you questioning him? I put him in charge. And that's where Paul and Timothy and these guys are. They go, I can speak not because of who I am, but because of who is above me. So they can speak with boldness. Now, how did they speak in this boldness? They didn't flatter. They weren't greedy. And they didn't seek their own glory. I want to talk about flattery for probably the, the, the most of this, uh, this section here. Most of you know uh, that uh, Maddie's grandma died back uh, earlier, uh, late last week, I should say. A little over a week ago. And on uh, Wednesday after the funeral, I was, uh, Maddie was taking me to my car. And she goes, my family really seems to like you. And I went, well, contrary to popular belief, I am a likable person. And she laughed. And I said, but you know what? Here's the other thing. I'm well-versed in how to make people like me. I know how to do the politics of it all. I, I learned from some of the best people that are not, you know, like famous, how to get people to like me. I'm a charmer. The one day I was in high school. Now, here's the thing. I have had a grand total of two girlfriends in my life. One girl I dated in 10th grade, and Maddie. But when I was in high school, my one teacher looked at me and he said, Sam, you're a player. You know how to do this, don't you? And I went, what do you mean I'm a player? I don't, I don't, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have anything. He goes, Sam, they hang on your every word. You're well-liked by everybody. You know how to play this game. And it was at that moment that I realized I flatter people. I know how to tell them what they want to hear. Sometimes it's a good thing. A lot of the time it's not. You see, but I could tell somebody that, that wants to be a Christian or wants to hear me, I could make them like me. I could get them to come maybe. I could, I could get people to like me. I know how to make people laugh. I know how to make people be at ease around me. And that's not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing when I focus on that and I don't focus on the truth anymore. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, we didn't come with flattering words, making you feel great. We came with the gospel, and the gospel puts you in a pit and pulls you back out of it. The gospel says, listen, you're a sinner. You've done horrible, vile, evil things in your life. You can't make it out on your own. You can't do anything on your own. Here's Jesus. You ever meet him? Because he was willing to die for you. Let me amend my statement real quick. The gospel didn't put you in a pit. You were already there. But it doesn't make any bones about it. The gospel does not take you and say, oh, you're this incredible person. The gospel looks at you and it says, you need a way out. This is the way out. Now, yes, later on, Jesus looks at us, and when God looks at us, he sees Christ, which means he sees righteousness and he sees holiness, not because of myself, but because of Christ in me. But before Christ is in me, he doesn't see that. He sees a dirty, rotten sinner. Let's call it like it is. 
And so Paul says, we didn't come with flattering speech making you feel good. We came with truth. And what does truth do? It sets you free. You see, we live in a day and age where flattery is the thing. Nobody wants to be told who they truly are. Nobody wants to be told what they fight with. Nobody wants to be told that they need to change and become better. They just want to be told, oh, you're doing good. You're doing fine. You're a good person. Do you know how many good people there are in the world? Zero. Because we're all sinners. There's a bunch of righteous people because of Christ. But if we were really going to be judged by if we're good or not, we're not. And so he says, listen, we came not with this flattering speech to you, but we came with the gospel and you latched on to it. We came and told you who Jesus is. I always look at examples of Jesus. One of my favorite ones, right, is the woman at the well. Does Jesus flatter her in any way? Nope. He tells her exactly who she is and exactly what she's doing and exactly what sin she's living in. And then he says, but I can give you the living water. And if we're going to be a people... A group of people, Christians, that want to reach the world around us. New Milford, Halstead, Great Bend, so on and so forth. We can't be flatterers. Now, that doesn't mean we're mean. Jesus didn't go, well, you're a horrible person. No, he said, yeah, I know who you are. Come to me anyway. And there's a difference there. There's a difference between being flattering and being rude. And the gospel's not mean or rude. It's truth. It's truth in love. You see, the difference is, I could look at somebody and say, oh, well, you're a horrible sinner. Here's the gospel. And they'll feel my contempt for them. Or I can say, hey, I'm in the same place that you are. Let me show you the way out. Because I love you and I want to see you with me in heaven one day as we stand there glorifying our creator, our maker, and our savior. And that's what Paul and Sylvanius and Timothy did. Be wary. I'm going to tell you this. Be wary of people that use flattering words. Not kind words, flattering words. Because most of the time, they're not speaking truth. They're embellishing at best. And I told Maddie all of that very less succinctly, or very more succinctly as we were only in the car for like three minutes. And she goes, you know, you're right. And I went, what? She goes, everybody in school knew it. And I was like, knew what? That you were a charmer. And I was like, great. So that's the reputation that I have. And now, for the rest of my life, I have to work to make sure that that's not the reputation that I have. I want the reputation that I'm a nice man, that I'm a godly man, but not that I'm a charmer. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to stop smiling at you and saying good morning when I see you all because it brings a smile to my face when anybody walks through the doors. So that's not fake, I promise you. But I'm going to do my best not to flatter but to love, just as they did and just as Christ did. So that's what not to do. I know we didn't talk a lot about greed or, or seeking glory, um, but some of that stuff is a little bit self-explanatory in some ways. So I want to move on to number two. So number one was how to speak. Number two is their example. Their example. Now there is, of course, Paul and, and Timothy uh, and Silvanus. 
And they come in and they're like, you know, we were gentle with you. Just as a nursing mother is gentle with their child. And we had an affection for you. And you know what we didn't do? We worked so that we weren't a burden to you. When Paul, most people, we say Paul was a tent maker. And we kind of think of that metaphorically. No, literally, Paul made tents. He made tents and sold them. He was usually, we think of him in cities for a week or two. No, generally he would spend upwards of three years in a place sometimes. Ephesus, I believe, was the longest place. It usually wasn't quite three years, but he would usually spend at least a year. So he had to come up with a way to make money because he didn't want to be a burden on these newfound Christians. So he made tents. But he goes, I don't want to be a burden to you. And there's more into it than that. I'm going to call it mooching. If I, and I'm talking about me personally, Sam Brush up here, if you guys viewed me as a moocher, you would be way less likely to listen to me, correct? If you were like, well, he's always taking advantage of, of our kindness, of our generosity, you would be like, well, I don't really want to listen to him. So I try to make sure that I'm not taking advantage of that. I'm not going to go into all the examples because that would feel too much to me like bragging. And I already have a big enough head. I don't need it bigger. But I try to make sure that I'm not a, a, a burden in that way, a moocher off of you guys. And Paul didn't want to be either. He said, listen, you're going to listen to me because I'm working among you. I am showing myself to be just as you are. I'm not better than you. I'm not higher than you. I'm not more than you. I am equal to you. And you are equal to me. And that's part of what this working is, that he's not a burden. Let me show you that example. Don't be a burden to the people around you. Now, I'm not saying if you need help, don't ask for help. I'm not saying that the church isn't there to help and support brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying don't, don't mooch. You know? If you're out there and, and you know you don't need the help, well, then give it to somebody else. Pass it along to somebody. I love helping people. It's such an incredible thing to me to watch people that I've helped pick themselves up a little bit. And I want to say this right now, just so that nobody's wondering. I don't view anybody that comes to this church as a moocher in any way, shape, or form. You all give so much, be it money, be it your time, be it your prayers, be it your efforts. I don't view anybody here as a moocher. And I praise God for that because that's a really hard conversation to have with somebody. To go, mm, sorry, we can't really help you right now because of X, Y, and Z. But I don't view anybody that way. So you're doing that so great. And they have this correct behavior among them. Remember the gentleness that I talked about. They, they didn't come. Now that's not to say they didn't speak truth. Again, we talked about that with the flattery. They spoke truth, but it's a gentle truth. It's love. It's a loving truth to the people around them. And then lastly, and I want to spend some time on this, they were encouragers. One of these spiritual gifts, and, and maybe one day we'll talk about the spiritual gifts. It's a, it's a heavy topic, but maybe one day we'll talk about that. One of the spiritual gifts, though, is exhortation, encouragement. We all know those people. They just always seem to know exactly what to say to give you that little pick-me-up, that little oomph. It's great. Oh, it's so incredible. It's a spiritual gift. It's the Spirit working through them. And Paul says, listen, we encouraged you guys. We need those people in our lives that encourage us, that keep us going, that when we are down in the dumps, they say, hey, you are doing good. You've hit a rough patch. All right, let's work together. 
Or you haven't hit a rough patch. You're having a bad day. Okay. Pick it up. Sometimes they don't even know that they're doing it. But Paul says, be an encourager. So here's the thing. Even if your spiritual gift is not in exhortation, because not everybody has that, and that's all right. Be an encourager anyway. You know, we look at things as pessimistic and optimistic and, and realist. I mean, I've always said, I'm a realist. I'm not. I'm a pessimist. I very much struggle at times to see the, the good side of things. I press on through it, but I struggle to see the good side of things. But, but I have people in my family who are optimists, and they're always like, why are you looking at that? How about this? And I'm like, yeah, but what about this? And they're like, why does that matter right now? Let's look at this. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. Great. But I need those people in my life. I'm surrounded by them. Sometimes I have actively surrounded, and sometimes God has just been like, I'm going to put this person in your life to be an encouragement to you. Be that to the other people around you. You never know what somebody's facing. You never know what somebody's going through in their moment. Some people, I, I, I mean, I, I've, told, I, I've told my testimony at times and, I, and, and such. My life's been hard at times. It's been really awesome at times. But I know people that have had much, much harder lives than I have. And I've got to be encouragement to them. You know what I've found, though? A lot of times it's those people that have lived a horrid life somehow that encourage me the most. They look at the moment and they go, well, you know, God got me through all that the past 40 years. He's going to get me through this. They didn't say a thing to me. But seeing them, I go, wow, how I should be encouraged by this. The world today tries to tear people down, break people down, tell them they're not good enough, tell them they're not pretty enough, tell them they're not smart enough, you're not athletic enough, you're not this, you're not that, you're not this. So what? You know what, instead of be feeding into that, show people who Christ is, because Christ was an encourager too. Oh man, you know, I saw you doing this, it was so incredible. I heard that you, you, you got an A on your test. Man, that's great. Smile at somebody. I'll tell you one thing that I do, and we're almost done here this morning. One thing that I do, try to do, is no matter how bad a day I'm having, if I am out and about, I try to give everybody I see a smile. No matter how bad a day I'm having. Because you never know who needs a smile. I'm not telling you I'm perfect at it. When I, I was told when I was 16 years old, Sam, why are you so angry? And I'm like, I'm not angry. And, and this was my mom. And she was like, well, you look it. And I'm like, this is just my resting face. I have a resting angry face. So does my dad. So I try to make sure I'm smiling more often so that people don't see that side. Because I'm not angry. I'm just smiling. You never know who needs it. And that's just a simple, tiny thing. I can't tell you it's changed anyone's life. I don't know. But I try anyway. Give everyone you meet a smile. You never know. And that's, that's, a, that's a simple thing that you can start with to be an encouragement. To wrap it all up, if I can give you two things out of this first half of second of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's this. Don't use flattering words. Be kind. Be generous, be gentle, but not flattering. And be an encourager. 
You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I just said that again. Dad will probably edit that out. This morning was horrific. I got up at 6 to come out and, and do, the, uh, do the sidewalks and everything like that. I waited till this morning because we were supposed to get a little bit more snow and possibly freezing rain overnight. And I said, it's easier to get rid of that stuff when it's on top of snow. So I'll get up early and I'll go out there and do it. And I was out there and just the snow blower was fighting me every step of the way. It took me twice as long as it should have. And I was just yelling at myself, standing out there trying to get the snowblower to work. Then I come around here to get the salt so I can lay down salt so just in case it's not slick. And we had barely any salt left, so I went, dang it. Now I got to choose where I'm putting salt down and where I'm not. And oh, by 8 o'clock this morning, I was like, I do not want to do this church thing today. Man, I wish we had canceled last night. And by 9 o'clock... I was still feeling that way. Rehearsal this morning with Maddie and I, I made so many mistakes because my head was just not in it. And then you guys started showing up, and each one of you greeted me with a smile. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. The first few of you, my smile was fake because I was still in my own head. Oh, good morning, guys. Oh, it's going to be a blessed day today, isn't it? But as more of you came in and more of you gave the smile and there was just this life, I went, it's okay. Let's say we mess up this morning. What's the worst thing that happens? Oh, well. If my heart's in the right place, God doesn't care. If I'm giving it my best and my heart's in the right place, God doesn't care. And each one of you this morning has been an encouragement to me because you were here, because you were smiling. Maybe you guys are facing some things that I could never understand. In fact, I would bet that you are but you gave me a smile, which allowed me to give other people a smile. Before I even got the chance to preach today, you were following what I was going to preach. It's almost like God has a way of knowing what's supposed to happen, right? He's a good God. Why don't we pray, and we're going to do one more song afterward this morning. Father, thank you. I want to thank you personally for allowing me to be part of this congregation, to be part of your body in this area God, I ask that one, we would not be flatterers, but speakers of truth in kindness and in love and to speak kindness to people, to not feed into this discouragement and this putting down of this world, but to be your people here. And God, I ask for, for all of us that we would continue to be an encouragement. I thank you for the encouragement they've already given to me, and I pray, Father, that I could be an encouragement to them and that we can go from this place and encourage even more people. Let people go, wow, that church has a group of people that are just always so happy. And we can say, no, we have bad days. But you know what? We're joyful and joyous. And that makes us want to share it with everyone else. Father, we praise you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen and amen.